Milk and cereal. Milk and cereal. Milk and cereal. Cereal and milk. Milk and cereal. Cereal, cereal. Milk and cereal. Cereal and milk. Cereal and milk. Cereal and milk. Cereal and milk. Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Cooking Show on Cairo Radio. We're here downtown Seattle at the beautiful hotel Andra, Fourth of Virginia. Uh, come down and do a little staycation with us. We'd have a good time having you here. We tape on Thursday mornings. We have a nice audience here today. Uh, we are going, we're drinking eggnog from Smith Whew. Brothers Dairy. Thank you so much. It's delicious. Thank uh, you, Andy. And uh, we have a little bit of, um, I don't know if the people at Smith Brothers know this or not, but their eggnog is really good with Myers rum in it. <laughs> I bet they know. It is very, know. very good. And it, uh, I must uh, just a side note: I love seeing the truck coming through Madison Me Valley too. and delivering through each home. I think that's still very, very cool to see that because that was when my life it was is good. a dying rarity. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely something. What do you that's mean? There's Amazon trucks all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just don't have cow spots on them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a big show today. Two full hours of deliciousness. Uh, we're excited that uh, you are joining us, uh, whether it's in your backyard, in your garden. Well, it's kind of hard to garden right now. It's cold out there. If you're in the backyard, you're not, you're not gardening. Our farm in Prosser is frozen stiff right now. It hasn't, uh, you haven't been able to see the ground you know, under the snow now for almost two weeks. Wow. Uh, it's hard to believe we've been doing this show for over 20 years and still look forward to it every week as we do, Chef. Yeah, give, me, give me a high five there. Uh, we are decked out for the holidays. If you're looking to, for some holiday merriment, come check us out here at the Hot Stove Society uh, Hot Stove website for upcoming events, including a wine dinner with XOBC. When is that? Am I twenty first? Am I part of that? Only if you want to be. Wow! I, I know you love those XOBC women. XOBC wine dinner without me. They couldn't afford you. <laughs> I like how you feel less. Because the wines are expensive. The wines are expensive. Uh, one of the, our mixologists, Julie Ross's uh, popular cocktail classes. Uh, is happening soon, and our Grooven New Year's Eve Christmas party. That Pamela, are you going to be here with me up for that? You bet. All right, Pam, miss it. Pam and I are going to miss it, and it's <laughs> it's the it's the going away party for Pamela for as a direct employee. You're going to keep the show though, right? Depends how we negotiate. Oh, okay. Oh, she's putting that on Woo! the air. I like that on the air. We'll give you a raise from 1950 to 20. <laughs> that is an hour, of course. <laughs> All right, so many great guests today. We have uh, Vicki Benison to talk about her highly successful Pasta uh, Grannies book uh, and YouTube series called Pasta Grannies. The always gracious, um, and I bet a golf sandbagger, Armando <laughs> Armandino Batali joins us to share holiday food memories. Are you a sandbagger, Armando? Ar- Armo? I keep, I don't know why I want to call you Armando today, but are you a sandbagger? No, he's, he actually plays to his handicap is what he's saying. I don't believe it. Uh, Laura Hamilton is here from uh, the book larder. will join us uh, from some new releases that you must have for your holiday shopping. And plus, one of the great things about her shop over there in Fremont is that often the authors come through and sign God, a stack of books. She's got a lot of signed books. Yeah, and that to me is when I buy a cookbook, I like signed first editions. Those yeah. are my favorites. Yeah. Tis the season for roasting vegetables. I just had some crispy-edged uh, broccoli. For dinner Ooh, that's one of the ones I want to talk about. Oh, good. And, of co- and uh, our Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge is going to wrap up the two hours. So don't fret. We're here for two full hours. Yeah. I, I know people miss us sometimes. Make yourself comfortable. It's going to yeah. be a little while. Have an eggnog. Have a <laughs> exactly. Smith, have some have eggnog. a Smith Brothers eggnog with a little bit of Myers rum in it. 
Or if you really want to get crazy, do a little uh, cognac or something. Ooh, do something good. Yeah. My taste of the week was uh, uh, a friend uh, took us to Hawaii uh-huh. for a week last week, and I played golf. And uh, in honor of him taking us to Hawaii, I had did I you lost lose? Did you I lost lose? every round to him. Yeah, I was totally on purpose. It wasn't for lack of uh-huh. trying. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Blame the uh, wind. Blame the wind in Hawaii. Yeah, the there volcano. was no wind. Oh, it was the volcano. That's what yeah, it was. Yeah, blame the volcano. Here you go. Yeah, we're going to post, Pam. I want you to post that picture I sent you from our okay. backyard of the glow of Mauna Loa yeah. that you could see at nighttime. The, I mean, you can't even believe there's enough lava to create like a sunset glow over the mountains. Yeah, the pictures so were incredible. So anyway, my taste of the week is we went up to Waimea, uh-huh. got the huli huli chicken, uh-huh. and we sent a, a posse. We sent like a search party for it. And they came back thinking that maybe we were 40 people instead of the Two. 12 people that we were. And so we had a lot of extra chicken. Wow. And, you know, we, we've talked on this show before about what to do with leftover rotisserie chicken. And what the great thing about Huli Huli chicken is it's done over charcoal. Right. And, uh, Very tasty. So it's just, it just brings that essence that nothing else will compare. So I took the cold chicken the next day on our way back on the airplane. I made chicken salad bowls for all of us with uh, kimchi cucumbers and furikake papaya and a little napa cabbage and celery slaw underneath. Mm. I was just literally cleaning out the fridge. Sure, sure. But I dressed the, the chicken in a garlic chili mayonnaise. Nice. With oh, sesame delicious. oil and lime juice. And it was so good. And it just reminded me of how easy it is to take these leftovers that we're going to have all throughout the holiday seasons and turn them into something exciting and new. Empty your fridge. It's Empty easy. your fridge, yeah. Just use up some of those condiment jars. Mix yeah. and match. Yeah. But furikake is one that I always keep on the shelf, and uh, that is a delicious condiment, I think. Good for you. And it doesn't go bad. Your choice now. My taste of the week. I went to a restaurant called Manolan on uh, Stormway. I had never been there before. It was my first experience. Oh. It was delicious. They just started their new winter menu. Not many items on the menu, but it's a great place to go. If you're not, you know, if you're not trying to do a, you know, a giant meal, like a good light dinner, it's a great place to go, sit at the bar. Um, they have a beautiful you know, semi-circle bar. And um, just order things on the menu. Uh, the highlight to me last night, one of the dishes I really liked, because I thought it was very creative and completely different, was gigantic beans, which are those big beans mm-hmm. they have. Um, in a, in a salad form with uh, bonito flakes. That was very, uh, to me, that was very different and very creative. I'd never had that. And the contrast of flavor was really surprising to me when I read it, but ex- extremely delicious. Tell people what bonito flakes are. It's a fish, fish, what do you call it? Fish flake. Yeah. I mean, dry fish flake. Yeah. Were it's, they wavering and so they were wavering, wavering when I they come that. to the yeah. table? Scary. They're shaved really, really thin. But the beans yeah. were not hot. They were room oh, time, but they oh. were not hot. So it wasn't like as much as when you put it on the high heat. But it was still moving around. So um, yeah, I, I thought it was very delicious. But they also had the ceviche that was really good. The black cod that was really good. Nice little dishes. Simple. Again, you're not going there to have a giant whole roasted chicken by yourself, because that's not the place. But I would definitely recommend a, a try that there. All right. And if you are going to Madeline over there on Stone Way, right. Seawolf Bakery is right in the same Right next door, co- yeah. Yeah. So I would suggest you pre-order at Seawolf and have them leave it at Madeline, because they're not going to be open by the time you go for dinner at six thirty seven o'clock, right? 
No, that's true. They're yeah. making so bread for the next day already. Get, they make a delicious baguette. Yeah. Coming up, crank up the oven for our crispy roast vegetables. You're listening to us on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. <laughs> Chef, it's time to uh, get going here in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. Turn the ovens up high. I'm talking high. We're talking 450, 500. Turn them up high, and let's start roasting some vegetables in this uh, cool, chilly, wet wintertime weather that we're having. Uh, tell me where you like to start on roasting vegetables and where you like to finish. You, well, so you know what I mean, right? Yeah, so, I'd like to start by re-emphasizing the word high heat. Yeah. Um, it's extremely important that, first of all, roasted vegetable, most of them roast really fast. Fast in terms of it's not that it doesn't take hours to roast vegetable. And um, you need to have your oven really high because most vegetables have a lot of water in it. So, you know, in, this, in order to get that crispiness, you need to have high heat. So high, high heat means over 400 degrees, 425, 450, all those numbers that are on your dial that you never go to. You need to go to. Don't I be would afraid. say no less than 450. Right. I would say go all the way. If you can, put the dial all the way to the highest number it can go to and wait. I mean, prep after that. Don't, don't turn on the oven and put your vegetable in because by the time it reaches that temperature, your vegetable will be done and mushy. So wait till your oven gets really, really, really hot. Then put the pan in. So when you turn your oven on, then you prep your vegetable. And I think the second part that's important is to make sure you cut your vegetable in a size that is going to be fairly even all around so you don't end up with tiny piece of broccoli like my little pinky here the head of my pinky and then the other one size of your hand because you're going to have one that's going to be raw and the other one that's going to be burned those are easy to understand but a mistake that most people make all the time you see it when the pan comes out of the oven you're like oh half my broccolis are burned the other half is so burned. i think roasting certain vegetables is really easy to understand like if you're going to do roasted carrots it's easy to watch easy to understand pamela and i were talking in the break pam you were your thing was was about broccoli right because i think there's a lot more nuance to broccoli than there is in a carrot when you're when it goes to roasting on high temp because of the different textures right you want something different for the stem than the florets right you want those crispy florets but you want a soft center and we just disagree a little bit on that so let's get into that too go ahead well annie and i were talking about it because she said cooking it at our warehouse in ballard with those convection or turbo Mm -hmm. ovens she got the best result because of the moisture in the oven, and I think sometimes when I do broccoli in the oven, I do it in the cast iron, uh, just super high heat. And now I'm going to put a couple of droplets of water in there. Let's go back to the beginning. So you've got your oven on high. Always. You have your pan in the oven now, heating yeah. up just like your oven's heating up before you I put the broccoli. I something from you guys. <laughs> okay. And then in the, while the pan and the oven are heating up, you take your bowl and you cut your broccoli. Toss you, leave the, you leave the florets on top of the, the stem. Yes. And uh, you toss it with olive oil, salt, and pepper. Exactly. And then you open your oven and you put the, hot, the, the cold broccoli into the hot sizzling pan. Correct. Okay. And you're not happy with the results because 
the stems aren't cooking as fast as the florets. You nailed it. Okay. Okay, so simple math. Take the florets out when they're ready, leave the stem in. I disagree, chef. Well, you could. I mean, you could, be, yeah. That would be a simple but way. But you're also to, opening the oven then, and you're doing all of this course, kind of but stuff. To release my point is, I like leaving it in the whole yeah. piece, so it makes that graceful edge to the plate. Sure. So where I think the argument is, is it reasonable to have two different textures in that broccoli? And I think it is. I, I think if the floret becomes a little bit done and crispy and crunchy, we want and that. the stem is a little bit underdone and has a different kind of crunch to it, I think that's a delicious combination. I'm, what I'm saying is maybe, wait, there's not, maybe there's not a problem where you're thinking there's a problem. Wait, wait, wait. Maybe there's not a problem for you. That's a problem for her. She already said that. So is, let's solve the issue of that. So would that's you not have, solving the issue, what you just said. Do you peel, the, uh, you peel your broccoli stalk? No. So I think that's... Oh, you don't? What are you, a no, cave no, dweller? I'm are sorry, you a cave uh, dweller? Hey, Tom, I'm sorry, uh, this is abs- unacceptable. This is unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> so you, take, you don't pair off your stem, but you do peel that tough outer outside. It's very stringy. And oh, yeah, you have to, because if know. you don't peel it, man, you're going to be chewing on that. And so then you know one of the most popular dishes we make here at the hot stove in our classes is our charred broccoli yeah. salad. And so you've made that before. and Many times. And we take that, we put it in the same cast iron on top of the stove, and we burn it. We literally burn it to the pan. And people think, oh, my God, you're burning the broccoli. And you're not. It tastes so caramelized and delicious. You put a little custardy, creamy vinaigrette on top. Really good. Yeah. One more vegetable before we run out of time. Okay. Oh, Besides parsnip. cabbage. Oh, parsnip. yeah, let's do parsnip. Parsnip is an easy one this time of year. It's a beautiful winter root vegetable. And it's got sugar in it that's pretty high, so it caramelizes very nicely. Again, try to keep, you know, parsnip is a little tricky vegetable because it starts as thin as a pencil, and it ends up as thick as a, you know, on the other hand, as thick as a carrot. So you want to make sure that you cut those pieces fairly even, again, in sizes um, to be able to have them cooked the same way. But, they, you know, you take the big piece at the end after you peel your, your, uh, your parsnip. You peel it? Yeah, you have to peel your yeah, parsnip. We peel the parsnip. <laughs> you have so. to peel your parsnip. I don't care what you say, Tom. No, no, no. I was, I'm all with you. I'm talking to Pamela. This is, you do have to peel your parsnip. I'm not a horse yet. Um, and then uh, you cut the big, the big ends. You cut them in the middle so they are actually smaller sizes. But they caramelize. Toss them in a little bit of olive oil, a little seasoning on it, whatever you want. And, you know... The Tokyo rub, I've done that with the Tokyo rub that you have. Uh-huh. That's really good. It's very delicious because you wouldn't think of putting that with no. vegetable, but it's actually really delicious. The only thing you have to be careful with there, if you're going to spice your roasted vegetables before after, you... After, after. You can toss them after or you can toss them, uh, sprinkle it over for the last minute or two. Right, yeah. which, is, which is what yeah. I mean by after. You don't... They, spices burn. Yeah, spices will burn, especially at 450, for 20 minutes, 30 minutes in an oven, it will burn. So put it towards the end, the last minute, you toss them in the bowl, put the spice on it, flash it in the oven for a couple of minutes, and that's it. Um, but yeah, roasting vegetable this time of year, every vegetable, onions, carrots. Brussels sprout. Brussels sprout, broccoli, cauliflower, even, even ginger. You can, you can put ginger in the oven and roast it. It's really delicious. Let's talk about one that really has gotten forgotten in our culture, which is a head of green cabbage. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, yeah. Don't you think? That yeah. does so well at high heat. Really, yeah. it does. And I don't think a lot of people think about it, but you just wedge a, a head of green cabbage. I prefer, prefer uh, Savoy cabbage. It right. works with red cabbage. Uh, but red cabbage looks burnt when it gets to the table, whereas green cabbage, you can see the caramelization on right. the outside. Just uh, put it in a cast iron pan or in the oven, a little bit of butter yeah, and olive just oil. Just sheet pan works great, sheet too. Sheet pan. I use, my favorite thing was from Saigon Over the Counter in the Pike Place Market. I don't remember they, their cabbage. They always had a side vegetable. It was more steamed, but they always use fish sauce and butter on it. And it is a um. beautiful combination. Mm-hmm. So for the last half of roasting the cabbage, when you start to see brown caramelization on the, on the wedge... Uh, flip it over and then hit it with fish sauce. So you, you cut your cabbage in, in four and quarter? Oh, no, no. Smaller than that. Smaller yeah. than Six or eights. Okay. Yeah. Number one, nobody wants to eat a whole wedge of cabbage. <laughs> You'll feel it for the rest of the night <laughs> and maybe tomorrow. Uh, Chef Steph has a recipe right now for roast cabbage with a coconut bear blanc. Oh, yeah. It's nice. got some fish sauce in it and right. lime. And, and do they do the whole roasting and then garnish with the bear yeah. blanc? Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. That's, yeah, that sounds delicious. All right, I'm ready for some roasted vegetables right now. Coming up, author Vicki Benison of Pasta Granny zooms in to share stories about the talented Italian women in her book and YouTube series. I'm going to keep well my vegetables card off and sell my vegetables. I love you most of all. When you finish, what do you got? Lots of things to eat. Like spaghetti or a getty, pontaletti and linguine. Some capelli or an elli, vermicelli, farfalline. Rigatoni, macaroni, cannelloni and stelline. Papadelli, rotelli, tagliatelli, patuccine. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show at 97.3 FM Cairo. Uh, we are jumping and jiving here today. Uh, we've got a delicious cookbook on tap right now. It's called Pasta Grannies, Heartwarming and Deliciously Comforting, uh, is what Stanley Tucci has to say about it. It's um, comfort cooking, and Vicki Benison is our author guest. She's on Zoom, and what were you just about to say? Well, besides welcome, Vicki. Welcome. Uh, I, I don't know if you know who we are, but we have a cooking school, and outside of the cooking school are a bunch of recipe boxes, and Tom Douglas, our founding chef, has a saying, don't let the recipe box die with you, and you have captured this in the most beautiful, endearing uh, way, uh, I, you are, you're a hero. Thank you. <laughs> How did <Hey>. introduction. <laughs> How did you come up with this inspiration besides every time you go to Italy, you just fall more and more in love with pasta? Well, I fell in love with Italy so much I uh, moved there and um, I bought a house with my husband back in 2005 and uh, during the process of doing up the house, um, noticed that it was only older women who were making pasta by hand on a daily basis. Terry, you had a question about that, didn't you? Well, I was wondering if, if there was, my question was, is there any but grannies making pasta in Italy? Because... I would think that when you go to France, it's the same thing. You see a lot of older ladies making the classic dishes in the kitchen. 
And I was wondering if there was also men involved in that process. Not a chance. They're too lazy. (laughs) (laughs) We we do find the occasional grandpa um, who makes pasta, but they've normally come through a different route to making it. Um, For uh, women over 80, it was a life skill um, for them. They were told that they wouldn't get married um, or or find a decent husband if they couldn't make pasta properly. Oh. Um, so, so they they were given pasta to play with from about the age of five in most cases. So for everybody who's younger than that, pasta making is a choice. Um, and if you don't have to, as you're suggesting, is is that you go and buy it. I mean, it's much easier. So yes, it is only older ladies that make it regularly. It must have been a lot of fun to be going into all those ladies' kitchen, listen to their story, and just work with them making pasta or watching them making pasta. And then archive it on film. On yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's incredible. Yeah, I have the best job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so did the YouTube series come as a result of the success of your first book, or was it vice versa? No, it was the other way around. <clears throat> I spent about three years with about, you know, 100 subscribers <laughs> Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I knew all of them. They, you know, one of them was my mom, that kind of thing. Um, And and then gradually, I think by sort of 2000 and the end of 2017, I had 5,000 subscribers and I was very thrilled with that. And then the following year, it went viral. The channel went viral. Um, And as a consequence of that, of that, um, the book came about. And so, and that was the first book. That's the one that won the James Beard Award. That was four years ago. And um, so, this is the follow-up. Vicky, what have you found? I mean, pasta is in its in its own way one of the most simple things in the world to make, and yet it's technique driven by these grannies and by their grannies and by future generations uh, as they unpack what it is to make pasta and gnocchi and things like that nature. What's the secret to perfect pasta that you've gleaned? From all these grannies. Oh, that's a hard one. Well, the secret is um, not to get anxious. I think um, the secret is to not not be concerned by all the rules that journalists and writers create around food. Um, so these women have been making it since they were five years old. So I mean, it's not difficult. What is important is giving yourself the time and the pasta the time. And, you know, it needs to rest. The, the the gluten needs to kind of relax a bit. So that that really helps you. And also, I think remembering uh, that a lot of the shapes um, when people start out, they make them big, and in fact, quite often they're they're very small. <laughs> so you kind of got to miniaturize it a little bit. That's where the technique and the finessing the technique comes and is there a, a more you know i'm not a big fan of extruded pasta i love when the grannies are making kind of hand rolled or rolled in a machine by hand uh pastas for me there's just a huge difference in mouthfeel i, I love the all-purpose flour kind of pasta which uh i've we've made clean and things for for hundreds or not hundreds decades, decades. now yeah so uh is there a secret to the flour that these grannies are using that been passed down so the so there isn't a universal way of categorizing flour um so the italian way is um actually to do with ash content it gets a bit complicated about burning it off and then what's left over and and stuff so the finest is actually zero zero flour which is has a kind of talcum powdery 
talcum powdery um, feel to it. And so that's what the ladies um, use a lot. And it's more or less the equivalent of all-purpose or plain flour. It's a nuance. You don't have to worry too much about it. The main thing is to actually get used to the brand that you're using because they all behave in slightly different ways. And are you an egg person? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. Yeah, yes. I am too. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think it makes... I'm into all of it. I'm into fat and, and egg and uh, I, I, definitely the egg. <laughs> yeah, I definitely meant in the flour, though. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> or in the pasta. Okay, definitely. Um, so the, the egg in, you know, with egg flour, you're using the zero zero and egg, and the egg gives the pasta body. Without the eggs, you can still make it with just water, but it becomes a less a less toothsome um, pasta. So you know, if you can use an egg, that's great. Yeah, I'm one hundred percent with it. Egg in my pasta. Me too. I, and mm. an egg in my pasta as well when it's cooked. <laughs> I love okay. I love a gooey runny poached egg on top of my pasta. That's definitely mm. something that I love. With some nice so, lardon, bacon, you know, mushroom, and a big, a beautiful runny poached egg, a five-minute poached egg. <laughs> yes, that sounds delicious. Um, so the thing about eggs as well is that if you put it into uh, down south in Italy, uh, the durum wheat flour uh, doesn't need an egg because it's already got quite a lot of body to the flour. Right. So if you add eggs to that, you be, you get a very firm dough. It's it's hard to roll out. Is there an area of Italy that uh, somebody's traveling and they are pasta or pasta wannabes or they they are. Uh they, they just fiends. love it so much. I mean, of course, you go to Genoa area and you get pasta with all sorts of basil on it. You get you, you go to uh, other areas uh, like um, Florence. You get a different kind of pasta. Is there an area that you've become most attracted to? So I think the mother load uh, for a handmade, hand-rolled pasta is Emilia-Romagna. Yeah. Um, so there... The women, you know, they they roll out the perfect circle of dough and, you know, they're making the tortellini and the capelletti and the capellacci and, you know, the plin and, you know, that kind of whole bit along the Po Valley is where you get uh, the most extraordinary diversity of pasta. And uh, that's not to say that no one else, you know, Liguria, as you've just mentioned, it makes the most wonderful pastas and pestos. You know, if you, if you want to kind of get to grips with pasta, Making, then you know, take yourself off to uh, Parma or Bologna. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> what is your secret for finding um, your chefs, your granny chefs? Mm, well, we uh, nowadays I have a granny finder. Can I apply? Is this for for Christmas? I want one for Christmas. (laughs) Pamela's a god granny. (laughs) Yes. You have a finder. Her name is Livia De Giovanni, um, and she lives in Faenza, and and that's her job is finding grannies. We work together. um, So we're kind of thinking about where to go at the end of January. You know, it's like, yeah, well, you know, we've just done the Aosta. The snow's arrived. We don't think we'll hurry back there. Well, let's go to Sicily. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a great plan. Great plan. <laughs> well, it's, it's a super fun, and I, I love the fact that you're saving these. Pamela mentioned my collection of recipe boxes that I buy on eBay for two, three, four, five dollars. And uh, both the saddest and happiest thing for me is when they show up, and when they're empty, I'm sad, and when they're full, I'm sort of sad for the families who let it go. Yeah. And I think what you're doing is an awesome treat for all of us to explore what these historical recipes mean to each other's families 
Maybe it's not mm. even the best pasta, but it, there's, a, there's much more to a recipe the than the ingredients, is, right? Yeah. It's the stories yeah. behind it. Yeah, so pasta is now the prism through which we sort of uh, meet the women. Um, so yeah. it, the pasta mm-hmm. is important, but equally um, past the, the women and their stories um, have, uh, you know, great popularity. Uh, you know, the book is called Comfort Cooking because so many people wrote to me during the pandemic and said, you know, Pasta Granny's helps me cope. It's a, it's a great source of comfort meeting these women and realizing that they have lived through so much more um, and, and can, you know, deal with all these things. So, so that's, that's why it's called Comfort Cooking. Very good. Vicki Benison has been our guest. She's the author of Pasta Granny's Comfort Cooking. And we're excited to see uh, and continue watching her adventures on YouTube and in books. Thank You're you, an Vicky. angel. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank Mille you. grazie. Up next, two segments. I don't know, Armandino, can you handle two segments? <laughs> two segments with Armandino Batali right here in the Hot Stove Kitchen on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. It all depends upon your appetite I'll meet you anytime you want In our Italian restaurant Welcome back, it's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo uh, we are here in the kitchens of the hot stove. We are so busy right now with all the holiday parties and, and dumpling challenges. What's the most popular thing right now? We've got like five, five Italian classes in a row to oh, this really? week. Really? <laughs> awesome. Love wow. it. There's something about this time of year and Italy. The, the traditions just match up. Yeah. Christmas, the spirituality, the coming together of the family and eating Italian food. I was, Awesome. Well, that's, that's perfect because our next guest is Amandino Batali. And uh, Amandino, welcome thanks, to the show. Thanks for having me. I and love it here. A couple of weeks ago, you were gracious to invite me to a, a fundraiser you're part of uh, for St. Martin uh, University down in Lacey, Washington. And I was suspicious because I'm like, Lacey, Washington. If you've never been to Lacey, Washington, it's a bit in the middle of nowhere for somebody from Seattle. It takes a while to get there. But I was just completely dumbfounded to see what happened next. You guys put on a show that is unbelievable, and you raised a gigantic amount of money for that auction. I was just floored. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good. Tell us, tell us the history first of all that, and how did this auction become so... I mean, you raised over $3 million. Yeah. Whoa. That That's is more a crazy number. Ten or twelve years ago, I, I graduated from there, some sixty years ago. They they would have a fundraiser every year somewhere in in Thurston County. We decided to start bringing out guest chefs, and uh, Mario was the first one, of course. But since that time, we've had the two. We've had Michael Simon. We've had Jacques Pepin, and this year we had uh, Anne Burrell. And she year. was a kick, by the way. She was really awesome. Oh, yeah. What she an incredible was... battery. That woman runs everywhere. Just, Anne Borel? 
Oli Macro. She's from the Food Network. You might know. Yeah, Food Network. Yeah. 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 Just to to stick a little probe here, but next year we have these two illustrious Seattle chefs. Oh, shenanigans are going to happen. Plus uh, Dario Cicchini from Italy, the butcher. Oh, can I get my ticket now? Sure. Oh, yeah, she wants to jump in. She wants to cherry pick now. (laughs) She could care less when we were the host. Did you notice she didn't raise her hand when you said, Tom and Terry will be guest chef next to you? She didn't say nothing. And then you said, Dario, she's like, can I buy your ticket now? (laughs) We put you on the back of the She loves a good butcher. That's all I'm saying. We'll make sure you got a ticket. Thank you. Know. you. That's on the on the air. Poor Kevin and his wife up at the uh, Beast and Cleaver up in Ballard. You know they have to deal with my wife and Pamela going in. They don't ogle the meat; they ogle the butcher. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the story of Italy and the women. Yeah, the gran- grannies. I remember walking or coming into Italy the first time when we I lived in Europe and. The first time I ever went to Italy, I, we were in uh, Taranta Polina, which is in Abruzzi, where we have some family. And you come driving into f- town, and here's a woman out in front of her house making peachy. Peachy is a pasta, pasta made yeah. with just flour and water. Right. And, and they're rolling them, and it was... It was a, a scenic view of being in that village. Yeah, you arrived to the right place. She got a great idea here to put all these older women, and I bet they loved it. Uh, yeah, you're yeah. gonna. See, yeah, when you watch the videos, you'll see the yeah. pride. Yeah, yeah. And that did, pride, did you take all your kids when you went to Italy? You, you uh, Mario. How many other kids did you have? We had three. Three, and you took them all. Yeah, that's oh, a yeah. life adventure. Oh, yeah, it was probably a, the greatest thing you could have done with the, with the family at uh-huh. their age. Yeah. So go yeah. back to St. Martin's and why it's uh, important to you. You were a student there. and what, what was your time there? I, was, I graduated there in 59, so we just Holy had our cow, you're old. 60th anniversary. <laughs> but anyway, we've done this now for 12 years and, uh, in this format, and it's just become totally... Uh, uh, an affair for that part of the state, I think, part of it. Secondly, all the money, every penny goes to student scholarships. And we've been able to increase our student capacity, I mean, just because of that venture, you know. Anyway, this year we had Terry was sitting at my table and Tom couldn't make it because he was working here. Yep, had a class here. Yep. And, uh, yeah, some of us have to work. It saved me about $20,000 by not going. <laughs> which we still, you know what, which you know, we still owe you. You know, you, know, you know what was serious is I had your paddle. Oh, yeah. The whole night, and I was like so tempted to just raise it. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't. So I was very tempted. Anyway, every year we've increased it. I think in 10, 12 years, it's been $15 million in, wow. in, in gala receipts. And, and it really does go to scholarships. Next year, what we're planning to do, uh, we haven't officially done this yet, but we will. We thought we'd have a little contest. Between the chefs? Between the chefs. And <gasps> Theory would cook a French dish. And Tom would cook uh, an American a, a, a mutt dish, <laughs> and then maybe mutt, maybe maybe mud dish. <laughs> and Dario will do some meat. You know, yeah. he, he does meat well. I think we should just give him fish. 
for the day, <laughs> just to mess with him. And you should give me an Italian dish to make. And Tom, we should give him something, uh, something different. Yeah, to make. whatever. French. You know, we yeah. went to Dario's meat restaurant. He has a restaurant right across. He's got a couple now, right? But right across the street, it's a, literally a meat restaurant. You get meat in every course, and some of it's raw, some of it's cooked. Uh, Any vegetables? The best part about going to the butcher shop is not to hear him sing a little bit. Right? He sings a little bit of opera, and then also it's the a rosemary. Uh, what's the fat? The pork fat. Lardo. Lardo. The rosemary lardo in a bowl right across from the butcher counter with a sliced bread right there. And you just spread it on and wait your turn and eat rosemary lardo, big pile of pork fat, while you're <laughs> waiting to order a big yeah. pile of meat. <laughs> well, that's probably as good as having Tim chips. Yeah, I think, I think it is. Okay, when we come back, we're going to get back into Christmas a little bit and, and find out what you and Marilyn did for your Christmas holidays and... and uh, Maybe even how you met Marilyn, who's sadly gone. But did you meet her at St. Martin's? No, before. No, before St. Martin's. Wow. Okay, so when we come back, a little bit more about Armandino Batali and his life and Christmas and what to do if you're a classic Italian. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I'll have some clam chowder followed by beef steak on rye. Pumpkin pie with cream and coffee I want a green salad on the side Don't forget the french fried Pizza pie, garlic and anchovy I keep burning up calories Alright, we're back in the kitchen here at the hot stove with... Continuing our conversation with Armandino Batali, uh, I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Roach, you the chef in the hat. And we're here at the Hotel Andra, which, by the way, if you're coming downtown for a little shop at Nordstrom or just uh, trying to get back into a Christmas routine here in downtown Seattle, uh, come stay here for a night. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. And uh, we don't make any money by you staying here, just, uh, just so you know. But we do have classes and stuff. And uh, Do we have any dim sum classes coming up? They sell out quick, don't they? Not coming up uh, we have in December. dumpling ones coming dumpling up. Dumpling ones? Okay. Yeah, there's still room in the January one. Continuing our conversation, Armandino Batali is joining us. Uh, he is well known in this town, mostly, I think, for uh, uh, Salumi down there at the 3rd Avenue Extension or 2nd Avenue Extension? 2nd Avenue, Avenue Extension. And then I think you sold that to your daughter, is that right? I did. And then has she moved on from there, right? She sold it months before COVID. Oh, good for her. Wow. I like the smile you have when you say that. She sold it to two women. Both went to graduate school at Dartmouth or somewhere. Uh And they've taken it another level. They've built a new facility for curing 12,000 square feet in Kent. So they had plenty of money to work with. They're doing well. It's called Coral. It's called Corvo Cor- now, right? Cor- Corvo, Cor- yeah. Corvo Salami. They're, they're yeah. handling it. You can, you can see it all over the place. And Smith Brothers, who brought us this delicious eggnog today, uh, offers delivery of that into your milk box. Yeah, just a quick reminder. They don't just carry milk. They deliver all kind of goodies next to that, right? Yeah. Who doesn't want a little uh, fennel salami with your glass of fresh cow's milk? <laughs> right. That's a great joiner. <laughs> Maybe not at the same time. I like a little glass of... Uh, County. <laughs> yeah. uh, Armo, tell us about your family Christmases and yeah. uh, the traditions behind them. and, and uh, what? We lived in a small village in the Yakima Valley. My grandfather was Angelo Merlino, 
the Merlino store that's mm-hmm. still in name here. We still buy from them, yeah. I know. You have yeah. 10 tons of their labels yeah. over here. Uh, so food's always been a big part of our life. We used to come over and work in the store whenever we could. And, and um, I remember one Christmas I came home from school and they put me to work unloading a boxcar of bacalao. Dry. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's so smelly. That's, that's, called, oh, Christ- that's no. called Christmas? <laughs> so that's dried salt cod. Right, yeah. right. Oh. You know, and then we'd soak it and everybody had a... And they had a recipe. But my mother would throw my clothes away when I came. <laughs> Absolutely. I worked at De Laurentiis with Pete and then with Lou. And when it was bacalao season, it was just like, Wah. That's great, great stuff. Yeah, it's good, big, it's good tra- food. It's just not something you want in your room. Big tradition. And they, they just use it, soak it, and then just put vinegar and olive oil on it and serve it cold. It was wonderful. Who wouldn't love that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, at Christmas, we would, uh, if the family was speaking to each other, (laughs) we'd all try to get together and move from one family to the next. And everyone had kind of the same thing in mind. We'd have, rather than turkey at Christmas, we always had lamb. Lamb and um, bacalao, of Uh course, and, uh, I don't know, grappa afterwards, and... uh, a lot of a lot of wine drinking. One of the big things was most, of, and I'm surprised, and this probably coming is is there some great grandma bakers in Italy, mm. probably using non traditional baking methods. In fact, some of the villages in Italy have a central uh, oven. Right. Yeah. And they people bring their dish down and cook it in that oven. It became pretty famous. It still is, I think, in certain small villages. One of the things I just got in the mail this year, uh, my wife was a good baker, um, really good, a good cook, French. And, uh, oh, sorry about the French part of that. <laughs> hey, you know what? This is, uh, this is how you balance the Italian part. So I, I opened the box, and here are 12 different cookies that my wife used to make. Oh. A sample of each one. And Who I, did that? What a great gift. This oh. was Dana, my son, and uh-huh. his wife. Oh. What a great gift. It was sentimental well, as well as here. tasty. Wow. So there was pizzelles and biscotti and all kinds of different kinds of cookies. Uh-huh. And just two or three of each. It was nice. That's but putting if, some heart into it. That's yeah. for sure. Then that's, that's the kind of gift that really makes an impact. Yeah. You make it, and then you give it away, and it's been made by you. You can't get a better gift in life. I think that's those are good gifts. You know, when we ever had Grandpa Merlino, who would come for Christmas, or we'd go to his house, and he lived at 919 Lane Street, where the freeway goes now. Mm. And he had three houses, and he would bring Italian immigrants into Seattle because he wanted them to work in his store. And um, whenever he had a Christmas dinner, it was a incredible. He had his own private cook, and they would do lamb, chicken, fish. The night before was the seven fishes or the five yeah, fishes. Yeah, I love that. You, you do seven those fishes. Too, uh, you? Pamela has forced me into the seven fishes a couple of times, yeah. yes. At, for does Christmas it, Eve. Does it go? Does it sell? It's, it's not for me. It's too much fish for me. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I like six fish. fishes and a prime rib roast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we did. So you had like one fish and a prime rib. <laughs> we did, I just came back from Italy and France with my son, and we went into Brittany, even at the three-star or two-star restaurants. If there were 12 things on the menu, 11 of them were fish. Yeah. Nice. Oh, it was incredibly different. You know, you couldn't find a lamb leg or a lamb chop. In Brittany. In Brittany. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that where they have the beautiful kind of yeah, wild thyme fed? Well, the Mont Saint-Michel, in Norm- which is the border of Brittany and Normandy, that's where they have the beautiful salt-filled um, lamb. But this is not the season, too. They, you know, they have a season yeah. for that. Sure. Usually it's spring, you know, spring and late spring yeah. and summer is when you eat the, the, the lamb because it's the best time to eat it. Oh. That's where they eat the thyme in the marshes. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. Right. And they taste well, saltier. Armo, thanks so much for coming yeah. on and sharing some of Always your stories. A pleasure. You're welcome to come back every week and be our third host. That would be awesome. So you just, uh, Pamela will call you and you just come back and we'll tell us a story every week. I and, love talking. And we'll, uh, we'll just kind of lullaby <laughs> ourselves you. into you so much, our, our holidays. Uh, Lara, Lara Hamilton is the owner of Book Larder and uh, she is coming up next to talk about the books of the season and why they are fantastic. On Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Cheeseburger, Big Mac Whopper, Hamburger, Cheeseburger, Big Mac Whopper, Big Mac Whopper, Big Mac, Big Mac, Hamburger, Cheeseburger, Big Mac Whopper. All right, we're back in the hot stove kitchen. We're having a good time here today. Lots and lots of fancy guests, including our upcoming guest, Lara Hamilton from the Book Larder in Fremont. Welcome to the show. Long Thank time so ago, uh, since we've been on, long time gone. Yeah, it is. And it's so Dixie lovely to Chicks be here in say. person. Yeah. Yeah. I think you were here last Christmas about this time because we... Probably. You know, the two big cookbook holidays, literally in the publishing business, are Mother's Day and Christmas, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And this time of year especially, um, just more books than, than um, we can keep track of sometimes. Right, right exactly. <laughs> what, what makes your shop... I mean, I didn't know what makes it personal to me when I walk in. Of course, everyone knows me. That's always fun. Uh, sometimes you carry my book, sometimes not. Don't you worry about that. We, we <laughs> always intend, but it's because we've sold out. Oh, they out. sold out. That's what they always that's, that's intend to have your books. Uh, always. There's only so much room in that store. It's a very You are unique store. in your field in this town. Uh, you and I talked about this, what, 20? How long have you had the shop now? Um, it's been 11 years 11 now. 11 years. Yeah, so yeah. Was, we were thinking about the same thing, I think at the same time, right yep. here at the hot stove. But we were looking in the Griffin building across the street to kind of maybe do a little uh, a used slash right. new cookbook store. Because so, I've always been a fan of used books. I do yeah. have my criteria, though. So they have to be signed, and they have to be first edition. So those are my criteria. Yeah. Which is good. It limits a little bit the amount of books you're going to collect. <laughs> it does, for sure. And it also makes them a lot harder to come by, right? Yes, it and does. And a lot more expensive. Except for us, you know, here at the show, we get uh, all these books for free. That's just, true. That's just true. Lovely. You just have to know to hold on to them uh-huh. so that they, uh, they get valuable someday, exactly. right? So your shop is lovely. Uh, how do people shop at your shop to get the best value? 
Well, I think it's um, definitely plan a little bit of time. Um, We really have the place set up so that you can take time and peruse. We have a kitchen with a big counter. And so if you want to sort of gather a stack of cookbooks and sit down and take your time with them, um, you know, you can do that. What a good idea. Well, you know, that sounds very inviting, doesn't it? Yeah, Yeah. because it needs to be different than an online experience. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a web Mm -hmm. store as well. But um, if you want to sell books and um, and create sort of an experience that's different than online shopping, I think, you know, there's a part of that that people still really want. You're creating the hospitality side of buying a cookbook. Yes, that is, uh-huh. that's a very good way of putting it, Terry. Yeah. Can I use that, please? In please our- do. <laughs> Just send me the check in the mail. Okay, yeah, excellent. <laughs> no, no, it's a tumultuous time in the cookbook industry with all the recipes online. And, like, if you want to make my coconut cream pie, you can go online and find 50 different versions of the recipe that somebody has posted from one of our books. So it's, it's, it's a difficult time, and you have to engage a person's interest in a different way than maybe you did as the hot restaurant 15 years ago to sell a book and you have to engage them now in a, in a different way. And, uh, how has that changed in your world? Well, it's interesting. You know, when we opened the store, um, I think a lot of people were like, are you crazy? Not just because of, you know, the fact that you can buy them online, (laughs) but you can get any recipe online Mm -hmm. and cookbooks have continued to be a growth area in publishing because there's just an experience that you have using it that you can't get online. You mm-hmm. get a curated point of view. I mean, actually, one of the books that I bought that I brought today is from um, Food 52, which I think 10 years ago probably would have never dreamed they would write a cookbook because they thought everything would be online. But I think the two can go hand in hand very well. People use cookbooks for one thing, and then they go online to meet other specific needs that you know may not be in their collection. Right. No, that is my th- wife Jackie's favorite website, by the way, Food Fit. Yeah, it's a fabulous yeah. website. Yeah, I mean, there's always online is will always be there from now on. Yep. But uh, the old experience is definitely valuable for all people. Most people will want to have that personal touch for whatever reason, whether it's buying a knife, whether it's buying a cookbook, cooking anything. I think there's always a time in life where you need that connection. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you will never go away. Well, thank you. That's what I think. You will always become, you will actually become more valuable as we move on. So I have a full belief in that. Okay, let's get, we have two segments. So we want to get through the, you brought eight, seven books, it looks like. We already went through Pasta Grannies. Fabulous. Isn't that awesome? How many copies do you have? I already sold them all to these guys. Oh, no, we definitely have copies. And I believe that Vicky sent us book plates. So our copies might be signed. I would have to, I would have to verify. But yes, because she, we did a, 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 a virtual event with her as well. So, yeah. Good. Yeah. So, I have um, books that I thought would be great gifts. And the first is a Romanian baking book, actually, called Tava by a British-based author named Irina Georgescu. Um, This book would be fabulous for any baker or any sort of lover of food history. Irina did a lot of really deep research into um, sort of the cultural history of Romania since obviously it's politically, you know, uh, the, the, the politics have influenced the, fu- the food greatly over, over the years and even just what it means to be Romanian. But it's a really beautiful collection of stories, history, and really fantastic recipes. You'll find a lot of cakes, you'll find cookies, you'll find a lot of ingredients like sour cherries, 
like a lot of cinnamon. Um, it would be a really fantastic book to use to maybe bring some new holiday desserts into your repertoire. And the last chapter is actually all entirely snacks and um, f- and uh, recipes that you can use for gift giving. And so Ooh. it's just a really good all year round book that I think would bring a baker who's used to a more sort of American and, and sort of French and English point of view, um, bring them a lot of new ideas and recipes, as well as absolutely stunning photography and stories. Cool. Do we know, we know Tava means? I don't, actually. <laughs> I should have looked I'm that asking. up. I'm a- you know, Romania is right on the front lines of the Ukraine battle. Uh, exactly. And... Uh, my friends who have started, you know, an orphanage over there and stuff for the Ukrainian children uh, say the Romanians have just been incredible partners and are just so into being helpful and to helping through this crisis. Absolutely. As, as much as they can be. So. Yeah. And Irina herself has been very active in the Cook for Ukraine mm-hmm. um, fundraising and things that have, have gone on over the past year with a lot of uh, British-based authors. And then next we have, if you um, could see all of the flags I have in this book, you'd know this is one of my favorite books of the year. This is Rambutan by Cynthia Shanmugalingam. She is, again, a British-based author. This is a Sri Lankan book. She is in the process of opening a restaurant, but this is um, a collection of her sort of family recipes and the food that she's made in her food truck. Again, the theme, I think, of all of these books is going to be their things that are great to read. Amazing essays. This, I mean, I think this is a voice we're going to hear a lot more from um, just in food writing in general in the coming years. She's fantastic. Is it reasonable to expect a food author like that to have a political point of view? This is kind of a hot topic in the she world. She absolutely like, does. Can LeBron James have an opinion outside of how to dribble a basketball? Right. Yeah. Or, you know, so is, is it ex- reasonable to expect? Absolutely. And she does not shy away from discussing things like colonialism and just the impact that that had on Sri Lankan cuisine and her experience as a Sri Lankan woman living in Britain. And so, yeah, it's a really, really great book. And then finally, I have a Seattle-based author. This is Frankie Gaw. You may know him, him on Instagram as Little Fat Boy Frankie. This is, oh, this is First to. Generation. Um, it is a Taiwanese-American book. He grew up in the Midwest, but like I said, now lives here in Seattle. This is, if you want to know how to make a dumpling, I can't think of a better book to pick up. There are instructional photos. Um, again, fantastic essays that are funny and heartfelt and um, really talk about his experience. And he does he have a restaurant here, or is just a, he does, does he not. have a, a, a website? Does, He's on Instagram, and he works in high tech. Okay. Yeah, so, um, and it's just, it's a great book. You should have him on this show, uh-huh. in fact. All right, uh, more with Laura when we come back. You're listening to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Chatting with uh, Laura from the Laura Hamilton from the book Larder over there in Fremont, right there on Fremont Ave, right? Or yes. Just on the if you want some landmarks, what else is there? You need a burger is up there. You need a burger is right there. We are across the street from Paseo. Paseo, the sandwich shop. 
Paseo the Sandwich Shop. We are next door neighbors with Eyes on Fremont, which has been an iconic sort of mm-hmm. eyeglass store for years. Yeah. And we see many people who pick up their glasses and then come in to test them in the store. I like how they do it. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like how they do it afterward, not before. <laughs> yeah, or sometimes during. They'll kind of come in. They want an opinion. Right. So, yeah. The... Um, well, I, I, the reason I'm asking for a landmark, it is easy to drive by because you're in like a little yeah. strip and you're the center of the strip. We are, yeah. with a great big awning. Right. Yeah. So, okay, you've uh, taken us through three of your seven books for the holiday season. And I'm assuming that there's plenty of inventory on these if you're oh, absolutely. telling, telling yeah. us about them. Yep, okay. Absolutely. Um, so next we have Theo Randall, The Italian Pantry. This is a really excellent book for sort of using up those ingredients that you bought and you're not quite sure what to do with. So um, it's organized by sort of classic Italian ingredients like breadcrumbs, porcini mushrooms, parmesan. And these are just delicious, approachable weeknight cooking sort of recipes that... um, Another staff member and I just really can't stop cooking from this book. I pick it up all the time. Tell us one of the things you've made from there that worked out beautifully. So at the end of, since we had this bizarre tomato season, at the end of October, basically, I was, I made, I used just fresh tomatoes, basil, burrata, very simple sauce over pasta. Uh You know, just like very simple things where... Maybe you've made it before, but you kind of forgot that you could do that, or just some new ideas as well. Mm -hmm. Super fun. The first thing I thought of was tin fish. Like you open a tin of anchovies. That's exactly what I was thinking, anchovies. Yeah, you open a tin of anchovies. What do you do with the other half kind of scenario? So I always use them. You know, they last forever. Yeah. If you go into the Italian market in South Philly or anywhere, you just see big five-pound tins of anchovies open on the counter. Who knows how long they've been there? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Theo's previous book actually was all about the tin things. Oh, was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and next we have Claudia Fleming, who was the pastry oh. chef at Gramercy Tavern. <laughs> I can't believe she's still out there. I worked I with her at, uh, at Gramercy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I did the dinner with her, too, at, yeah. at Gramercy as well. No, and she wrote, of course, the iconic book, The Last Course, which um, ended up you know, being... It's probably the book that every pastry chef I know has in their collection. Mm-hmm. It's ubiquitous. This is more of a home, bake, home baking book, but it does not shy away from the fact that she is also a professional pastry chef and so the instruction and the method are all very precise and very thorough um so in in other words in a little bit intimidating not necessarily intimidating so much as there are definitely easy recipes here like cookies and biscuits and quick breads and things like that but there are also beautiful layer cakes there are um, different sort of ingredients, like um, she has a fennel tea cake with Pernod whipped cream. You know, just sort of those sort of things that bring a Using little bit different of... different ingredients. Exactly. It's more it ingredients that are different, more chefy. Absolutely. Some of the, well, sometimes, right? So, and that's why I think it's a good, versatile book, because you can look to it for that slightly fancier thing that you want to maybe make for a dinner party, but you could also pick it up for a great biscuit or chocolate chip cookie recipe. Hmm. Um, but it's really, really well-written, um, and, I mean, you can both vouch for, sure. you know, sort of I vouch for Yeah, she was a hard <laughs> She's worker. Awesome. She's an awesome pastry chef, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and so it's a great book, and I'm just, as you said, she's still there, and I'm excited to see that she's I, still I haven't here. heard her name in years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And next we have that Food 52 book I mentioned. The next two are really more for sort of newer cooks. Mm -hmm. Um, This is Simply Genius Recipes for Beginners, Busy Cooks, and Curious People. So Food 52 does a really good job of sort of curating recipes from lots of different um, writers and chefs. Um, This is a collection of those along with a lot of really great fundamental tips like how to slice an onion, how to 
how to break down a chicken, how to keep your herbs fresh, sort of all those things mixed in with the recipes so that you're becoming a better sort of kitchen manager and cook as you learn to make some of these fundamental things. I think, I think that kind of book is very good to help you diversify your cooking. Many people are stuck in a rut of a simple, you know, five ingredients and they use all the time and that's the, that's the one they use. When you say chicken, debone a chicken, everyone should buy a whole chicken and debone it at least a few times in their life so they can understand how much more you can get out of a chicken. You know, you buy two chicken breasts, you get two chicken breasts, and that's pretty lame as far as I'm concerned. But well, Yeah, when you buy whole chicken, you get schmaltz, you get chicken stock, you get all sorts so of things. So much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can make so much out of one chicken. It's amazing. So... Anyway, yeah. yeah. Are, are there footnotes in theirs? Because, you know, they're famous for all their beautiful little cookware that they sell on their site. <laughs> so I would no. expect each recipe to have a footnote. Now, this works really well in our cast iron oval. <laughs> well, yeah. This I, stuff they, is I don't know. That might have been a missed opportunity there, Tom. I'm not sure. Um, but also, I just love the way that the chapters are organized because it's things like good things to make ahead for lunches and dinners and snacks all week. More good active weeknight dinners you can make in under an hour. Like that sort of thing so right. that it's like... It's more sort of in that context of what you're doing instead of just like exactly what the meal is. It's real life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Brilliant. And then finally, I have Baking Bread with Kids by Jennifer Latham, who used to be the bread director at Tartine. Mm. And this book is excellent because it, besides, she's a a really, really great teacher. So you get a lot of sort of the very sort of teacher-focused approach to the recipes But it also gives sort of the adult who might be cooking with the kids some good advice on how to approach it. So like leaving plenty of time, making sure that you um, have read through the recipe really thoroughly, probably several times. I mean, tips good for any cookbook user Mm -hmm. or any cook anyway. Um, And actually, I know that it says baking bread with kids, but for somebody who maybe wasn't a kid and just wanted a super detailed bread baking book, it could also be a good option there too. And, and really an extension of the COVID crazy bread baking craze. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And bread is great to bake with kids because you can eat from it sort of all week. And there's right. a lot of variety in the kinds of things that you can do. You know, you can make a sandwich out of it that they take to lunch and then they can, you know, brag to their friends. Right. About well, it's a lot of fun bread. making it number one. Totally. I mean, you can have a little mess on your hand. Just put some plastic on the ground. <laughs> Plastify the kitchen and then play. Yeah, I think so many parents are afraid of the mess. And, then, you know, it just doesn't take that much to clean it all up. You know, if you, if you think smartly and contain well, make it the cleaning in a funny way. part of the, the cooking. Yeah, yeah. Make the kids help you clean. Yeah. My grandson is now 22 months old, I think, on the 5th of December. And last night I got a video of him with a saute pan in the living room with the pair of tongs shaking the pan like I shake it with him on my stove because I carry him above the stove and we cook together. And he's got his little uh, wood balls from one of his toys in the pan. He's shaking the pan, turning each ball over with the pair of tongs. Wow. wow. At 22 crazy. months? At 22 months. What are you, building a cook at three? I don't think that's the... Yes. And <laughs> I, um, I think the point is that don't be scared and, no, no. and just yeah. teach him how to cook. It's yeah. just not that difficult, and he has a, he loves it. I literally, uh, on the barbecue, when I'm out there barbecuing, he loves the barbecue, and I give him a pair of tongs, and he helps me turn the chicken on the barbecue, and he's, like, wiping the smoke out of his eyes, while, and, but he won't leave. He still wants to turn the chicken yeah. on the barbecue. So instill that passion for food, and hopefully he won't end up like, well, I guess, I don't want him to end up a big person like me. <laughs> 
because you have to have some containment, which I've never quite had. Uh, but uh, I learned, you know, early on from my mom and blah, blah, blah. So I love that book idea. Jackie, my wife's a great bread baker. She would, I would love her to teach him how to make bread right now. She works her sourdough all the time. That'd yeah. be perfect for him. Right? Absolutely. Uh, and let him get sticky. It's okay. Yeah, and make and this is a simple recipe. So make simple recipe that doesn't even if it messes up, it's that it has some give, and then you know clean up the kitchen together. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No Absolutely. problem with that. Well, congrats on uh, such a fine assortment. Anything that we should be looking forward to? Have you heard in the grapevine that there's new books coming out? That- <sighs> Well, like we could um, pre-order with you, maybe. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, um, Allison Roman has a new baking book coming in March. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually, so Deb Perlman actually has a book that just came out. Um, but we are doing event, an event with her at Town Hall at the end of January, and there are just a few tickets left for that. Who um, is that? I don't know. Yeah. Deb Perlman is Smitten Kitchen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So this is her third book, and it came out at the end of November, but you know, with holidays all in the middle of it, she's sort of broken her tour into two parts. And so uh, we'll be hosting her at Town Hall on January 26th. That would sell out. She's got a <laughs> tremendous following. She does, wow. indeed. Yeah. Huh. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to um, kind of reading the books that I have a little bit, too. It's been a long time since I've gone through my shelf. And I got rid of about 400 books out of close to 3,000, yeah. maybe two years ago or something. And uh, I probably need to pair Pare down another time. But there's a lot of books out there. No, and we sure. have a lending library right here have, at the hot stove. And I have plenty of them to get rid of it, too. So. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you, Lara Hamilton. Yeah, uh, thank head you so out much. to the Book Larder. You can go online. You can. Shop indeed. Online. Booklarder.com. Yep. And uh, you can also go to the store in Fremont, which I would highly suggest. It's a, Absolutely. It's a fun outing. Thank Spend you. Spend a half hour. Remember, hour. reading with hospitality. Absolutely. All right, it's time for Rub with Love Tasty Trivia right here on Cairo Radio. I'm looking forward to this. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. For food for thought, tasty trivia. I'm Tom Douglas, and I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Uh, we've had a really fun show today with Pamela, our producer, and Sean, our technical director. Uh, it's time, chef, for yes. us to take on a challenger. Correct. In the uh, food for thought, tasty trivia challenge. And I'm afraid uh, we have a giant challenger. Today. Don't be afraid, chef. I'm a little bit afraid. We got this. We got this. Okay, we got this. <laughs> We're going to take her down. Sure. She's a highfalutin. Oh, my goodness. She's definitely wear red. (laughs) Laura Hamilton is staying with us for one last segment. It could be the end of her her public life because she's going to be so embarrassed (laughs) of how poorly she does today. We're going to have to go home with the uh, big L on the forehead. (laughs) Rub with Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia is brought to you by our very own Spice Rub family, which has grown to 20 different varieties. We can help you doll up just about any dish. Check out some snazzy gift sets at TomDouglas.com. It's the perfect gift for every party. Buy a book at the book larder and then send a box of rubs to go along with it. Uh, They're available at the Hot Stove Society or Seatown Market and Fish Fry in the market. Uh, 
or Ballard Serious Pie. You can drop by there and buy caseloads of it. That's where we actually <laughs> blend it. For our friends in Vancouver, BC, please check out uh, Market Meats in Kitsilano. And in Redding, California, please stop by R&R Quality Meats. Tis the seasoning, so to speak. Mm, All right, let's delivered. play, Pamela. Yes, let's play. Five questions for each contestant. I'm making sure everybody's a winner today. Go ahead. Number one, cookbooks have been with us for a very long time. The oldest known cookbook was written on clay tablets and dates from the 18th century BCE, which is the now secular way to say before Christ. I think if you read Moses' Ten Commandments backwards, it's actually a recipe for roast chicken. Which (laughs) culture... Uh, left this for us. The clay tablets, Mr. Rotoro. The Chinese, the Babylonian, the Roman, or the Inca? I'm going to go Chinese. Babylonian. The, this famous 19th century French aristocrat, painter, and alcoholic collaborated with Maurice Joyant to produce his art de cuisine. Who was it? Jacques-Louis David, Henri de Luce-Lautrec, Edward Manet or Antoine Watteau? I'm going to go with Lautrec. Exactly. Correct. Who is the French king of kings and chef of kings who published his Guide Culinaire in 1903, which is still in use today? Would you like multiple choice? Sure. Oh, come uh, on. You Frank know Beard, I want Paul Bocuse, to, Wolfgang Puck, or August Escoffier? Yeah, I go with Escoffier. You are correct. Uh, Wolfgang Puck was a close second. <laughs> He's been around a long time. <laughs> Please name the cookbook by Kenji Lopez-Alt that uses chemistry and physics to help explain recipe techniques. You want the title of it? It's also a bestseller. Yeah, you want the title, the title of, of it? it? One of the most important books to come out, don't you think, yes, in the last of 10 mm-hmm. years? Take your time, chef. I'll take my time. If you need a hint, you're in a bit of a lab here. Oh, yeah. Laboratory. <laughs> the lab kitchen. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, Food lab. Food lab. Food lab. And finally, uh, what was the main focus of Deborah Madison's book, The San Francisco Chef? What does she write about so passionately? Uh, Farm to table. Sort of. What's the the topic, Tom? It's called greens. Veggies. No, but that's about vegetables. It's all about... Vegetables. That's what I was looking for. Are there no pigs on a farm? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay, I guess you're right. <laughs> Wouldn't you say she's so important as a vegetarian? Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. She brought, Amanda Hesser says she brought vegetarian food out of its brown absolutely. era. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I think that's, And it's what, yeah. 30 years ago now, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. Greens, yeah. yeah. Starting with a softball. Miss Hamilton. Oh, okay. What a oh, shocker. What a shocker. Yeah. What's on page 27? While she of the was book? living in France after working for the OSS in the Second World War, oh. Julia Child attended which famous cooking school before collaborating uh, on mastering the art of French cooking? Cordon Bleu. Yes, exactly. Um, when this woman wasn't touring as part of her husband's rock and roll band, she was a cookbook writer. Mm-hmm food impresario in her own right. She's an ardent vegetarian once saying if slaughterhouses had glass walls, the whole world would be vegetarian. Uh, do you want multiple choice? Yes, please. Stevie Nicks, Judy Collins, Joan Baez, or Linda McCartney? <gasps> Linda McCartney. Yes. And number three, what are some of the most used ingredients in Yotam Otolenghi's popular cookbook, Plenty? Things that with- you need to have in your pantry. How could you be wrong here? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's true. It's pretty much name one, and it's in there. Cumin, yes. coriander, yep. turmeric, parsley. All of those are correct, so she gets that one right. What is the name of the local author who wrote Vegetarian Chinese Soul Food? Xiao <laughs> Ching <laughs> Chow. Yes. And finally, the, which one would you like to answer? Uh, what is the most expensive cookbook in your shop or the biggest trend that you've seen in 2022? Well, the most expensive cookbook is probably Modernist Cuisine. Yes. Oh. I mean. Not probably. It is. Um, <laughs> is it $1,000 for the set? I don't even remember what it, it is came now. Out oh, the price has actually changed. Yeah. Oh, no. It's like, it's six or $700. Yeah, 600 it's, yeah. something, yeah. Did she get all five right? Oh, yeah. Of oh, course. Yeah. She oh. smoked us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Douglas. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Pamela. What was the title of Isabella Beaton's 1861 work, which included tips on fashion, child-rearing servants, and animal welfare? Do you want a multiple choice? Sure, why not? Uh, Lizzie Beaton's book, The Housewife Companion, Victorian Cookery, or Mrs. Beaton's Book of Household Management? Lizzie Beaton's book. <laughs> Mrs. Beaton's book of household exactly management. Exactly what I said, yeah. Uh, and staying with the, since you're a history buff, whose 1896 Boston Cooking School cookbook has stayed in print for over a century and is often referred to only by the author's name? Would you like multiple choice? Betty Crocker. <laughs> Fanny Farmer. Fanny Farmer. Who wrote the great meat cookbook? And what Bruce was, Idell. Yes, what product was he famous for? Uh, well, he's still famous Sausage. for his sausages, but he sold, you know, you still see his picture on him, but he sold that company long ago. It has nothing to do with it anymore. Uh, number four, how many pictures of you are in Ann Willen's book uh, <laughs> from my Chateau Kitchen? <laughs> Uh, I see two tabs, so I'm going to oh. two. <laughs> screwed that up. I know. I love this. He's got two tabs. I'm like, what, two? At least. I believe That my, was a trip of a lifetime, wasn't it, Chef? I believe you were my on hands that are in there, too. <laughs> yeah. I don't have my face, there. but I got my hands. And finally, at Cuoco, we hosted the chef who wrote Never Trust a Skinny Italian. Who was it, and was he skinny? He was super skinny. I cooked him a whole pig while he was here, and he loved it. And he's, uh, his restaurant's often been named the best restaurant in the world. You're getting close, but and you he's can't in remember. Bologna. Yeah, that guy. That Very guy. Italian. <laughs> How do you say that guy in Italian? Not Marchesi, but um, yeah. Massimo Bocciore. Massimo. Yeah. Does any part of my answer count? No. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay, oh, hey, once again, on. according to Laura, she crushed us. If you want to be part of our group here at the Hot Stove, you can go to hotstovesociety.com and buy a ticket. It's, I think it's 25 bucks. You get breakfast and hot coffee and our lovely company on Thursday mornings, two hours. It's worth, it's worth taking a day off of work or even a half day. Uh, you're listening to us on the Cairo. The show is produced by Pam Hinckley, our sound and production by Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, <coughs> you can listen via podcast. Just go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend. Oh my goodness. Oh my damn. Oh my goodness. They're going ham. This is how bacon is supposed to be. The fries, they blend so perfectly. The cheese up in here is gone.